Hi everyone, it's Joaquim Makren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. Guillaume Verlinden is the managing director of Colibri Games, the game studio well known for its tycoon games like Idle Miner Tycoon. Guillaume started his career in management consulting and moved to gaming some eight years ago when he joined Social Point. He quickly grasped what gaming was about and started improving older live games and growing many of these plateaued games like Monster Legends and Dragon City. So in this episode, we talk about Guillaume's experiences of leaning game teams how green light processes should work and why growing games and growing game teams can be challenging. But before we go to this episode, here's a few words from our sponsors. Are you a mobile game developer who's looking to try something new on the ad creative side? My top pick would be influencer-generated content, IGC, by Opera Event. Influencers and actors will make specific content from your games and Opera Event will deliver you high-quality video ads that highlight the best parts of your game. Go to getigc.com to see some examples. That's getigc.com. At Pollen VC, we provide mobile app and game developers revolving lines of credit, enabling you to borrow up to four times your monthly revenues with simple and transparent pricing. As part of our commitment to the ecosystem, we also provide a suite of free tools and resources to improve financial literacy, helping studios make the most informed decisions when it comes to finance. And that's why we've been named best service provider in this year's Pocket Gamer Mobile Game Awards. Visit pollen.vc to learn more. All right, we're live. Hi, Guillaume. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Joachim. Thank you. Great to, to finally do this. We talked about this during the summer. And, and since you're now at Colibri, I think this is really a good time to kind of like talk about what you've done before, what you're going to be up to with Colibri, what, what's going on. So it's going to be a really, really good chat. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm very excited to be to be here with you, following your 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 channel and and your podcasts very closely. And, and yeah, it's, I'm very glad to be here. Right. Hey, hey, I wanted to kick off this discussion by having you sort of summarize in a three minute introduction, like your way into gaming back in the day and how you ended up becoming managing director at Colibri Games. Yeah, I think I have a, a pretty unusual access to, to, to the gaming industry. I actually started uh, my career in, in, in management consulting. I was living in Paris. Uh, I've always been a big gamer all my life, but I never considered like moving to gaming. I was not, yeah, it was not even an option. But one day, I think it's the magic of LinkedIn. I was approached by a recruiter from from social point and they said yeah we are looking for people like with management skills business skills and if you like gaming and if you like barcelona why not 
coming to, to social point. And that, that's, that was a big change in my life, of course. Um, I left my flat. I moved with my wife and my one-month-old daughter, and we moved to, to Barcelona, and I started in, in gaming. Yeah, that's, that's actually the first time I realized there was a career for me in, the, in this industry. And yeah, that was how I joined. And then I joined Social Point as a product manager, working on, on the Monster Legends title. It was very, very exciting. We boosted the, the, the game quite well with the, with the team. And then I moved to, to Dragon City, the flagship of, of Social Point. And then, yeah, progressively I moved to, we went through different stages of, of the company, the acquisition, and then I moved to, uh, to Tilting Point and now to a managing director position at Colibri. Nice. That's really interesting. Like, I wanted to actually like ask you about this question because I've seen so many people move from you know banking, management, consulting, moving over to, to gaming, taking up a, a product lead position, or something like kicking their career off in gaming. And it usually ends up in a lot of success in many cases. Like, why do you think that that makes sense? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think it's gaming is, is so similar in many aspects to some of other digital businesses. So I was working on more on, on, on with startups and, and, and digital companies in the past. And in the end, the way you grow, you, I mean, the games games are games and meant for player, but they are also products. You go, you optimize KPIs, you think at a very high level, you build strategies. And in the end, it's very similar to other fields. We, we, we feel that gaming is unique, but in the end, it's very similar to, to some other industries. Of course, there's a creative layer on top. There's a lot of passion that's very, of course, unique when you work for like a standard factories. I don't know if people are so excited when they come back home, they continue working or exploring what's what's new in building cars or planes. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. But most of us in the, in the gaming industry, you go back home and you continue playing, you continue drawing, you continue coding. So there's the, the job is relatively similar or at least as many similarities with banking and, and consulting or, or entrepreneurship and the, the main difference for for me is that there is a layer of, of passion of personal conviction that goes on top uh, so if you like gaming and you're a banker you should definitely definitely try <laughs> to yeah move. yeah i haven't really seen anybody who who came from banking to gaming go back <laughs> to banking <laughs> like i think <laughs> gaming you know gaming is is complex in an exciting way I think, you know, you never learn everything and it's always changing. I have a few contacts, a few people that came from actually from banking and moved to LiveOps and they were like excited, like very junior traders moving, moving very fast to the LiveOps and finding this emotion of suddenly seeing your metrics, you, you release a new offer, you start a new event and suddenly everything moves and, and, and that's this, this emotion is, is very similar. And I, I've seen yeah, a couple, only a couple of, of very young traders moving to, to, bank, to the live ops and that's it actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. Can you talk about your personal development at the early stages after you joined Social Point and how you got a grasp of what it would take to succeed in gaming. I 
think there's I was really amazed by I, I, I'm some I'm someone very optimistic and I, I I love being surrounded by by talentful people and that's yeah. uh, that's something that really struck me and in every single company or every single team where I was I was always impressed by the level of commitment the level of passion and the level of, of, of skills I was I think I'm, I'm very lucky for that and when I joined my first uh, project was really surrounded by great artists putting a lot of passion in designing and creating those those monsters the developers also putting a lot of passion and say okay we'll build this new feature in one week or one month and that's that's where I realized that actually they have fantastic skills and I will never be better than them so what can I do as a manager I should when you go when you are in consulting it's kind of kind of pyramid the manager is usually better than the juniors and the junior aspire to become the manager but the, the profiles are very similar the, the first thing that really struck me when I, I joined this uh, so, uh, social point and the gaming industry is that there, the, the, the companies are, or the studios have a lot of diversity in the skills, and I would never be better than them on any of those skills. And I said, okay, then I realized that I would maximize their, their own talent and not mine. And I wanted to be, it became obvious that being surrounded by, by great people and giving them a high level of ownership would lead to, to success. And I think that's that was a game changer on, 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 I think, on most of the projects of empowering uh, the team, setting very high expectations. I think that's what I can do with my background and my, my philosophy as, as well, setting very high expectations, but letting the teams decide on how uh, they would reach uh, those expectations. So I, I see myself as more as a mentor or someone that gives a direction but I, I really, I had to give up on the idea of you as a leader, you need to be more expert than the people in your, in your team. That's, that, that wouldn't work in our industry. I'm really fascinated about the, the topics of leadership in gaming and I want to double click on your leadership style there. And how do you approach team and individual team member development? And do you believe that the leader needs to be kind of like a coach, you know, that they're on top of things, they, like a sports team, like analog. What are your I, thoughts there? I think there are a lot of similarities. I don't pretend to be good at it, but I aspire. That's what I want to become at, at some point. I really want to help the team to grow, or at least create the ecosystem where they will grow. They will help each other. They will become mentors themselves. I really believe that everything it's, it's such a creative industry, and and so everything is is about the talent in our industry. So we need to grow the grow the people. Also, it's highly competitive. If, if you don't give people the perspective of growing in your team or working with you, they will leave you, and they will go to another company. So if you want to keep your team, you need to grow them, and if you expect them to have a big impact and 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 create like fantastic games you really need to trust them empower them and give them all the resources they need to be successful i think one part of of this coach is also to shield them from administrative stuff or like political stuff i also my my role is also to help them focus 
on what will make the difference, not on administrative stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Like, if you think about like a game team, that's this is what I've usually seen. Is you need to do everything in such a hurry. There's constantly firefighting going on with live games, especially ones that are new and launched and things like that. How do you adapt to that fast-paced environment and still manage to to develop your team? The key, and that's also something I had to learn, the key is to have a great focus and be to not try to, to, to chase too many goals at the same time. Also, it's very important to be aligned on, on the expectations. I have a, a, a methodology that I, I brought from, from the consulting, actually, to make sure that we align. Sometimes you need a fe- feature or, or something to be a project to be delivered on time. And the most important criteria is the deadline because you have, I don't know, a featuring on, on, a, on a store and you need the content to be live at that date. Sometimes it's about quality. Sometimes it's also about the scope of the feature. I want more than the MVP. I want, I, I need more. Or sometimes it's also about the cost. I can't afford spending too much time or too much, re- uh, too many resources to that topic. So we ma- I make sure that every time when we start working on a project, we know what we want to achieve. It can be, I mean, it can be a metric. It can be an experience. It can be a feeling. But we make sure that we are very clear about what we want to achieve in with this new version, and also align on the criteria or the the project guidelines. So what what I was just mentioning about deadlines, etc. So on how to get there, mm-hmm. and I think that's. That's really helpful for for the team to know that this time the focus will not be on perfect quality. It can be a bit buggy. It can be not super clean, but at least that's what we do with some proof of concept. You want to know if, I don't know, a piggy bank concept will work in in your feature. So do you need the fantastic development that will have zero tech legacy? Maybe not, because you maybe considered removing this this feature if it doesn't work. So yeah, it's all about ex- setting r- the right expectations and also giving the support to the team and say, okay, that's that's fine. The, the objective here is only to test it. And then we, we are fine if it doesn't work. We just want to test the concept, see if there is potential here. So to go fast, you need to, uh, to create, to, to align on the expectations at the very beginning of the process. I think that's one of the keys. I wanted to also ask you about hiring, which is something that we do a lot in game studios. Like yeah. I think it's like it's a constant process if you're looking for new talent, new team members. What are the lessons you've learned from hiring for game teams? One of the lessons is you don't you never spend enough time building your network and hiring people or looking for people with talent. Mm-hmm. Try to to spend, I force myself to reach out to candidates, reach out to, to new people, build my network. It's not something that is very natural to me, but I, I, I know it's very important in my, in my to build the best team. So yeah, that's a, that's a big, significant amount of time. I would say probably 20, 20% of my time is dedicated to finding the, the right candidates or accessing the right networks uh, where I will find the, the right people. Yeah, I spend probably more time growing the people that we have, that I have or around me, but definitely hiring is, is also attracting the talent is, is a very important piece in, in our very competitive industry. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> like it's crazy. <laughs> what are sort of like the the latest things that you tried out with hiring? Do you do you use external help for that? Like, what have you seen work really well? There is no magic formula. I haven't found found it yet. If if would love to hear for, for more tricks, actually, <laughs> but I try a bit yeah. of everything. I, we work. We have a, a good team in, internally. That is also looking for candidates. We work a lot. I think one of the keys is the referral. Usually, good people are in contact with great people as well. Uh, and yeah. I think this is. We have recently changed actually our referral policy to make it even more interesting for the employees to, to refer. And that's something that is proven to, to work. Yeah, we yeah. have recently very good people through referral. On top of that, we have also worked with partners. We, have, we work with com- companies or agencies that also help us to boost and reach out to open our network. I think it's very interesting to, to reach out to people that you probably would have never reached through your organic network. So yeah, we, we try to do a little bit of everything, but I would say referral is, is clearly the best, the best driver. Makes sense. Yeah. Then like I wanted to move on talking about new projects. So when you are starting to work on a new game, what are some of the processes that you've observed which would promote the possible success for a new title? Like, of course, there's the obvious, like, you know, Uh, launch early but do you have (laughs) any other thoughts there that that are really interesting i think there are some as you as you said there are some generic rules to do on the marketing side just to early very early test the theme test some some concept even the art test with real users as soon as possible test internally i think those are Great f- formulas and things you should never do, uh, you should never forget to do because I've, I've seen so many companies so focused and so convinced that what they did was the beautiful masterpiece and they don't need the feedback from the users but in the end that's everything <laughs> the, 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 the players will tell you if your game is, is great or not I, I, th- I think it's obvious when you when you have something big you can feel it and you have people around you that can feel it uh, when when you have a, someone pitching you an idea and you you start you you, you, you see in, the, in people's face that the team is extremely engaged and extremely excited on the, on the project you can feel it as well as listening to them and you, your brain starts to to to, to move and you, you can imagine the, the, the experience I think this is really when you when you have when you you have something there's there's a concept it's it's not enough but I, I I think the first emotion when you hear a pitch is a very good indicator I've seen many people f- presenting a pitch and creating like I call I call them the Frankenstein and creating importing concepts from from many games and in the end yeah they it got an inspiration from many cool games, but in the end, their Frankenstein is is, a, is an ugly monster that will probably not work. And nobody has the emotion. It's very cold. And to me, that's that's the key. When I see the team extremely passionate about their, their project and I can feel it and I can share it, yeah, I think there's there's something big. Then we all know that execution is hard, but I, I think we all feel when there is a good idea on the table. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And then when you move from there, like if you're thinking about big studios, what I've usually seen is this kind of like green light process that 
you end up having <laughs> one way or another. Can you talk about what you've observed regarding green light processes and this kind of management reviews and uh, whatnot, sort of like a process there? What kind of approach have you seen that is actually beneficial for the success of a studio and a team and the games that they are working on? That's a, that's an excellent question. I've found the limits of the green lights meeting or management review. It's it's very obvious, and sometimes in in some extreme cases, you can feel that it's all about being the smartest guy in the room and and, and challenging the concept and showing that you you you're, you're a guru of your sector. And that's that's something that is not really. And I've seen a lot of green light meetings or or conversations about pitches that were not helping the teams, but more just to, to, to break their ideas and show that it was not, uh, it couldn't be a success. And I think that's that's the opposite. The green light, I don't like even the, the term, is that we can stop you at any time. And I, I would ideally turn it into a, a mentoring or at some point in, in, in the past, we wanted to have like a coach or a sponsor with, among the, the management team that would help uh, the team to prepare for, for the green light. I also saw some great ideas being stopped because they were the, the, the team didn't have the skills to present properly, you know, on a nice PowerPoint. We see it with, with VCs as well. And people fail to share their emotion because they are not used to... Pre- I mean, they make games, they don't make PowerPoints. So, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. I don't have the recipe here. But I know that green light can probably stop some fantastic ideas. We can we can see like great games that have been released recently, and I'm sure they didn't go through an internal green light process or, or whatever. So, yeah, I, that's what I don't like. I, I don't like the fact that we might kill a fantastic idea in those meetings. Yeah, I think it's it goes back to to having the people having domain expertise on like what they're actually talking about like you know that's it's very scary if, if you know there isn't that at, at the same time some sometimes you can also have teams that got crazy on the concept and they just now working in a, in a super niche concept that would be probably not a success and as a company you need also to guide them and say hey that's mm. great, but the theme and the, the art style, the gameplay is, yeah, it's, you won't have many players who will enjoy your game. So that's a tricky, that's a tricky one. And yeah. that's why every company has a different process because there is no, no magic formula so far. Yeah. 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 It's the, the hunt for the formula continues. <laughs> hey, let's go back in time a bit. Talk about your sort of this adoptions that you've made at social point to to the live ops and where you have live games kind of the processes the team structures and the tools that allowed you to take some games that were plateauing and not growing like how did you manage to to make those games survive and even start growing them again because i think there's there is a lot of these games out there that are plateauing not growing but they could have life in them. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think every every game is a, is a different story. Monster Legends, Dragon City, or even the, the games that I was managing at, at, at Tilting Point, every game, I'm, I'm personally convinced that if your game survives 
and, and, and still even plateauing or slightly decreasing after a couple of years, it means that at some point you met success. At some point you had a lot of players who enjoyed your, your, your game. And there is still a big hope to, to understand what people really liked and, and suddenly stop liking or why they move to another game. And there are different strategies. And even if Monster Legends and Dragon City were very similar, like the, the games, the core loop and the, the, the DNA of the games were was actually very similar, there was a completely different identity and we built a completely different strategy. One a bit more core on Monster Legends, slightly more RPG with different different side loops and different different elements. When on, on Dragon City, it was all about having a great time playing, a lot of mini features, a lot of mini loops that was super entertaining. I think that the, the question is going back to the DNA of your game. What's the emotion? I'm obsessed uh, with understanding the, the root cause and not focusing on the symptoms. That's something that is probably a trait of my, my style or, or personality. I really want to understand what's the core emotion on, on those games and focus on, on, on them. Dragon City is obviously the collection, the accumulation of, of a small, cute dragon, and also not only cute, but very diverse. And that's a diversity. And people who know me know that I'm a big collector of, of comics and, and Lego and, and many other things. And that's that's what you need to understand what, what's the core emotion in your game and double down on it and, and people will follow follow you. And that's, I think, how we manage to, to accelerate the growth or to reverse some trends going to the to, to the root emotion in the game and, and building upon it. Yeah, I, I'm very convinced that games that have been successful at some point have a chance to grow again. That's Yeah, yeah, I totally, totally believe that as well. But when it comes to talking directly to, to the players, like how should developers think about understanding their audience and the player community in a better way. Plenty of ways. We have so many, so many players, and every also every segment of players have different ways of in, in interaction. I remember when I started on Monster Legends with, with the team, we had this conviction that we we had to understand better the, the, the players. And we started to interact directly and organized calls. It was Skype, it was not Zoom at that time, it was on, on Skype, and we had this calls with the team directly and some of our key players. And even I was personally involved and I was chatting every every single day with the most engaged players uh, from, from the game. They become even friends, but they opened my eyes to so many new concepts. So basically, just to give you an example, I remember on the live ops, we were afraid of putting hard currency offers more than twice a month. And we had, I remember this message, I, I had a fantastic live ops manager at that time, but we had we were also blocked by some con- context or concepts like, like burning the players. What, what does it mean? And after chatting with the, with the super engaged players, I remember in some groups, I, I, I was interacting on, on Messenger, and in some groups, they didn't know I was part of the game team. And uh, they were complaining and saying, 
I don't understand uh, wh why the most intelligent team don't put more more offers, especially on, on Monday. I get my salary on every Monday and they put the offers on Sunday when I don't have money anymore on my bank account. Uh, wh what's wrong with them? And this is when we decided to run uh, out currency offers three times a day <laughs> instead of tw twice a month. We run an A-B test and, and the LTV grew significantly. And we... I mean, that sometimes you have some concepts and some convictions. I don't know where they come from, from some gurus of our industry. But then when you talk to the players, you you just experiment a completely different world. This really opened my eyes. Talking to the players, it was honestly, for some time, it was one or two hours a day, literally chatting with them. But it's really opened my eyes. And I that's why I, I think I have, this is my, my nickname of being player obsessed come from this, this experience because, yeah, it was so, so such a big eye-opener. Actually, I'm still in contact with some of, of the players seven years later. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, I think, like, we in Western Europe, I think, because we, we have this sort of stigma of being careful about pay-to-win and this kind of concept. So I think, like, we need to sort of get to know the player first and know that, you know, they're they're playing a collection game where you cannot actually win. It's it's <laughs> not about that. In most of these games, like where you're collecting characters or whatnot, it's it's not a pay-to-win game. <laughs> like however you want to turn it into. So yeah, that is no. It's it's the 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 journey that is that you enjoy and then the progression and you enjoy progressing and coming back to the game every day. And if you can progress a bit faster because you are maybe competitive profile or maybe because you just yeah you enjoy building something your your castle your your mansion or or, or whatever and you want just. Mm go a bit faster because you're you're impatient and that that's fine i think now it's, it's accepted i think many years ago it was badly perceived i remember uh, even before my time in in in, in the gaming officially I was, I was playing a forex game and i remember that the, they in the chat the payers had their name in in in, in gold letters and I said, wow, I don't want people to know that I've paid in the game. I, 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 want, yeah, yeah. I, I sent a ticket and I, I complained. I, I said, no, I feel ashamed of paying in the game. Now it's completely over. It's normal. It's, it's part of, of the deal. You can enjoy it for free. It's actually not very expensive hobby <laughs> compared yeah. to some of other hobbies. Yeah. 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 There's so many interesting layers nowadays available. I wanted to touch base on, on your sort of journey now to Colibri. You are now the managing director of Colibri Games. Can you, can you talk about your focus area at Colibri as MD? Uh, and if like, you see any challenges that you're facing, maybe for the first time now in your career? Yeah, that's that's. There are more layers to the position that what I, I, I used to to have in, in, in being a studio manager or a game lead, obviously. But in, in the end, it's, it's also very similar. I used to run studios or game leads with all the functions, even the corporate functions uh, like HR or even some elements of finance. It just it's, it's an extension, I, I would say natural like extension for in terms of responsibilities. And I would say the main challenges that we are facing is 
to make sure that now I'm not working concretely on the on the product anymore or directly in, involved. I have also to accept that I'm not building roadmaps or anything yeah. like that. And I just need to empower only, empower the people, give them support, challenge them, share my experience as well to make them successful. I want to be surrounded by people that are successful in every single division, every lead or every employee will have an impact. That's my main goal at, at Colibri, to make sure that people have the resources to achieve the goals that we set together. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I realized that managing director, or actually my vision of the, of the role is that it's actually a support function and I will make sure or help them to become, to become successful. There's a lot of potential every day. Every, every time I, I meet the employees I met on my first month, most of, or already most of the employees in one-to-one -one or small group meetings are also going through the performance of the games. I saw that there is a fantastic potential. So yeah, it's just a matter of aligning and creating the organization or the alchemy that will make, uh, make them continue to be, to be successful. Right. Yeah, so Idle Miner Tycoon is sort of like what Colibri is best known for. Like, how do you see the company taking that title forward into the future and other titles as well? Idle Miner has, is, is successful, has been very successful, is still very successful. And I, but I think there is still a lot to do. And then the, the, this game, I'm, I'm really very enthusiastic about the potential of the game. We discuss constantly with, with the team and we share ideas or opportunities there you, you will see in the coming months over the next years that there will be the, the, the game will will continue to be to be very successful the, the goal internally is to make it a constant or a stable or even growing uh, revenue stream and this will allow us to to start more and more projects take even more risk being working on more innovative projects. I think on the idle tycoon gameplays, they are already on the market a few, few systems. You have, of course, the idle minor style. You have also the adventure types with the menus, and you have also the, the, the body games, engines, all of that. But there are actually more gameplays that we want to bring. And I think this is our role to bring more, more gameplays on, the, on, that, on that category. And that's what we we aim at in the future. We have we are very successful already with the with the current games. Idle Miner, Firefighter, Restaurant Tycoon are very successful games, and we want to expand to leverage uh, the knowledge we have on those, those engines. But we want to expand and, and and bring more different different gameplays. Yeah, and it's a, such an interesting audience, like the whole idle idle audience. Like it, it's. Part hardcore, but then very casual as well. So it is it, super exactly. It, it was very niche, very geek. And I remember uh, I, the, many year, years ago. Actually, I, I was actually among the first players of Idol Minor Tycoon uh, because I'm, I'm a big fan. I, I think I've downloaded or or uh, bought all the Tycoon games or <laughs> on PC at least, all the Pizza yeah. Tycoon, Ski Resort Tycoon, all of that. I, I, I have it and I played it quite intensively. And, and yeah, when, when I saw Idle Miner, I, I saw really, I was amazed by the simplicity. It's really simple in the end. It's just playing with the bottleneck, but the feeling is, is really awesome. And yeah. it was a bit niche, I would say, but now you, you know, there are so many titles and so many, so many new propositions on, on that category that it's, 
yeah, it's becomes a, a truly casual category uh, with some hyper casual components. Oh, it's a very interesting category. Very, you, the good, I, I would say the good sign here, it's, you can make it compatible with many, many other con concepts. Hyper casual mm -hmm. is one, but you can probably explore uh, more different combinations. Yeah, definitely. Hey, last question before we go to the to the final questions. Like, how should a game studio leader approach sharing data, information, like being transparent about things internally? I think if we if you want to have people that make the right decisions, if we, you want to empower and give a high level of ownership. People need to understand the context very well. And that's why I believe we should give a very high level of, of transparency up to a point where it's, I think, sometimes being the, the excess of transparency and being invisible where you don't filter anything or you don't put things in context can be destructive for, for your company. Mm -hmm. But I think you need to give the right con context on the financials of the company, on the, the pipeline, on the success and failures the lessons and we have to accept that sometimes you can fail and, and even sometimes you don't draw very clear lessons that you can use. That's still fine. You, you just need to be very honest with yourself, with your, with your, with your peers and, uh, and be very, very candid and, and, and transparent. If you want people to grow, um, they need to have information. Um, so that's something yeah. I'm, People know in, 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 in the team, in the company, that they can approach me on almost any, any topic. When I say almost, it's maybe not the personal ones or even, no, but to, to be, to be they, they, they know they can approach me and ask and challenge also. We had very recently um, a lot of conversations about the vision and what we aspire to, to become in the next, next years. And I was extremely happy to get some blunt feedback also people saying okay i don't understand i like it uh, i like that part but please tell me more about this why did you uh, make that decision and, and i really love that kind of conversation i like being i love being challenged and i love and to be properly challenged uh, you need people to have more and more context uh, so yeah definitely in favor of high level of transparency <laughs> yeah yeah i totally agree with it like creating meaningful transparency if you can deliver context, I think that's those two things. Yeah, they can't, you know, work without each other. So, Guillaume, I have some final questions for you. What is your favorite book and why? Many books that I love, but I would say, yeah, that's there's an obvious answer, maybe. That's the, the, the book I always think of coming from a, a city builder, tycoon fan, and a, a Lego fan. The Pillars of the Earth are clearly is clearly one of the books that really yeah, I, I fell in love with the story. That's a good book. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, everybody everybody should read it if 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 you love sort of like history and stuff <laughs> like that. It's it's an awesome one. Hey, do you have a story that has shaped you in how you approach your work today? I have plen plenty of stories. I think I. I love to observe people, how they work. And I think I learned a lot from very excellent managers that I had and also bad managers 
and I learned what to not do as well. So I have plenty of stories uh, about that. But I would say, yeah, yeah, so, so many stories. But I would say that in, in general, I really enjoyed when my managers, I think the, the, the things that shaped me the most is the manager for challenging me over and over and forcing me to go out of my comfort zone. And, and that started, I remember in, in being a junior in, in consulting, and we were still at that time printing the, the slides and receiving the feedback from my manager with a lot of red ink on my, on my slides and saying, you need to go deeper, go to the root cause. It's not enough, go deeper. And that's, I think that's when I started to understand that you can be extremely wrong with a strategy if you focus on the symptoms. You need to understand that root cause. And uh, this manager is not in the gaming. He will probably won't hear uh, our our podcast today. But Julien, he he really forced me to go very deep and go going understanding and being obsessed with this root cause. Yeah, I have good memories. I I was suffering at the time, (laughs) working very late. But I think the lessons really marked my life. Uh, that's a really good one. Hey, last question for you. If there's people in the audience who want to contact with you, what, what would be the best way for them to reach out? Connected to LinkedIn constantly. They can reach out on, on LinkedIn. I think it's the best way to do it. I usually answer 99% of, <laughs> of the, the messages. Recently, I received a lot of biz dev uh, people. <laughs> people yeah. trying to sell solutions. I still answer to, to most, of, most of them, but yeah, I, I read all the messages. So please uh, reach out. And we are actually hiring. So if you have <laughs> a t- yeah. you're talented and, and you have you want to share, you're passionate about tycoon games and want to be part, please feel free to reach out as well. Great. Hey, Guillaume, this was so much fun. Really learned a lot, a lot of good reflections. And I, I wish you the best of day. Thank you very much, Rakim. Bye. See you, man. Bye. If you like our content, please do hit follow or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. And if you're not yet our newsletter subscriber, please check that out at EliteGameDevelopers.com slash newsletter, where we share every Friday a new set of things regarding gaming startups, investing, raising funding, whatnot. So check that out. And I'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.